And I'll begin this way. Uh, my wife, Rochelle, and I were speaking to my cousin and her husband a couple weeks ago when we were with them up at Camp Spofford. Uh, this cousin and her husband has um, children in similar age range to ours, and we got into a discussion talking about child behavior, uh, what's the best way to handle situation when a child might act out, um, and to be perfectly honest, we were basically just saying, help, can you help us? Uh, one thing that surprised me in parenting is how often we as parents have no clue what we're doing. And I didn't pick up on that growing up. My parents disguised that pretty well. But how often we're just like, what do we do in this moment? Including at times uh, helping a child who might be acting out behaviorally. And so we're searching for wisdom and guidance. And my cousin began to share something that they began to do recently, uh, that when their young son is acting out, uh, she gives him a page, uh, have you heard of this? A page of kind of faces in front of him that shows all different kinds of emotions. And that this would exercise would help the child articulate uh, kind of which face matches the feeling and the emotion that they're having at that moment. And the point of the exercise um, is to understand how does behavior stem from emotion? That God created us with all different kinds of emotions, and those, that's a creative design that is good, right? It's not shameful to feel emotion. So we don't want a child to make them feel ashamed that they're feeling a certain way, but then to also teach that it is our responsibility on what to do with those emotions, and so the hope of the exercise is that child will select a face, uh, a conversation will ensue, what caused that uh, emotion, how to cope with that emotion in a way that honors God. Um, so before I go on, just to be honest, we tried this after Camp Spofford with a child that will not be named. Uh, we put a, laces in, a list of faces in front of them. Uh, Rochelle came back a moment later to see a giant X written across the entire page. All right, so we're still tweaking the approach here, but it seems that the idea is good. Um, but as is often the case, when we talk about the emotional development of children, we find that it is still applicable to the rest of us, where we all experience an array of emotions throughout our days, sometimes all in the span of a single day. And instead of giving us a page of faces, if you will, I, I do believe that the Lord gives us the Psalms. If you were to read one Psalm to the next, it covers the entire emotional spectrum of the human experience. From love, to delight, to awe, to loneliness, to discouragement, and regret, and marvel, and shame, and joy, and gladness, and fear, and sorrow, and anger, and grief, and hope, and gratitude, and deep, deep pain. The Lord gives us the Psalms. Last week, if you were here or you listened, we uh, unpacked Psalm 92, which was a psalm of thanksgiving, which was just this utmost proclamation of who God is, of what God has done. It was a joyful reminder of who we are in Him. And this morning, Psalm 55 is a psalm of lament, one that brings us into the mind and heart of a man who is in deep, deep emotional pain. 
The man is King David who has written many of the Psalms, and we're going to unpack the way and hopefully learn and glean from David and the way he expresses and copes with his pain in three parts. First, the cry to God for help. Second, the complaint to God in anguish. And then third, the call to God in faith. So that's what we're gonna, how we're going to unpack Psalm 55. We're going to read a few verses at a time here, starting with verses 1 through 3. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. Number one, we see David cry to God for help. Um, Consider, again, just how vastly different the start of this psalm, the very first line, is compared to last week's Psalm 92. Uh, Psalm 92 began with, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. And now, give ear to my prayer, O God. It, it, It immediately kind of tells us the state of emotional desperation he is in at this moment. His prayer begins with kind of none of the standard beginnings that you'd normally hear in a prayer, but it's an immediate cry for help. And this psalm gives us insight into the act of prayer in the life of a believer. Um, Many of you um, learned how to pray, and maybe you're in a position where you teach others to pray, children or grandchildren or or even adults in a kind of group or class setting, um, based off, uh, there's a couple common ways. You use the, the Lord's Prayer to teach somebody how to pray. Um, you, you might use the commonly known acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, standing for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Those are, those are good models. In fact, if you were to listen closely to, to Pastor Joe's prayer to any of the men and women who pray in our congregational gathering each Sunday, that is the way we train and encourage those to lead in prayer to lead our church using that acronym, that outline for prayer. It's a good model. It's biblical, and there are good reasons for it. But the Bible is honest also in that while living in a fallen world, there are times throughout Scripture where men and women are in such desperate, emotional painful places that all they can muster in their prayer right from the outset is this cry for help. Listen to me, God. I I am restless. I groan day and night. Lord, answer me. I think of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, deeply distressed over a barren womb. Think of David here in Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God. I think of Jesus in the garden the night before he was crucified, sweating blood. And David says, do not hide yourself from my pleas. That that might seem strange to say at first, 
But how often David himself knows kind of from his own human experience the temptation it is to hide from someone who's in need, to act like you don't see it. It's more difficult to address someone who's in need. It's sometimes easier to just look the other way, to not inconvenience himself. I can think of situations to my shame where I've seen someone or heard of someone in need, but then turn my eyes or my attention as if I didn't just see that. I hide from a plea. There's a common situation we probably all found ourselves in one point or another. You're driving on the road or a highway, and you see someone on the side of the road, or maybe they're broken down, or maybe it's someone who's asking for money, and, and we, we literally kind of divert our eyes. We, we refuse to look at it. We make it seem like we didn't see it. We got places to go. We got things to do. We hide. Think of the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, which rightfully so is called the story of the Good Samaritan because of the man who did come and inconvenience himself for the sake of others. But you remember the first two people in that story. When there was a man beaten up, left in the ditch on the side of the road, half dead, and a priest came down the road, saw him, Across the street, goes to the other side. He hid from that plea. He didn't have time for that that day. So David's greatest fear in his pain is that God won't be there. That his presence is is gone. And, and here's what I find interesting: we know what David knows. David knows in his mind, God is always there. David was doctrinally sound. But because of his circumstance, his view of God is distorted. Did you hear that? How true is that? Because of a circumstance, your view of who God is gets distorted. He says, I'm restless day and night. He's not sleeping. We all know that what happens to the rest of your day when you don't sleep at night, everything else gets distorted. He can't block out the noise of the struggle he is in. When you're in the midst of a painful trial, regardless of what it is, the enemy creates noise. Noise that is all-consuming. Noise that dominates your thoughts when you're awake and when you're asleep. And, and, and isn't it true that when, when you're in a moment like this, or you know someone who is, they, they, they can't seem to do, or you can't seem to do anything normally. Everything gets tainted. Easy things become hard. Hard things become impossible. Including our very view of God. God, don't hide from me. We cry to God for help. Let's keep going. Verses 4 through 11. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O oh Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. 
oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. First, David cries to God for help. And now, number two, David complains to God in anguish. After the initial cry for help, David now begins to reveal and unpack what is causing this pain. I've quoted this book earlier this series, but uh, Mark Vrogop, in his book, Weep With Me, the book's called Weep With Me, says, quote, Biblical complaining is not venting your sinful struggle. It's merely telling God about your struggles. We notice that in his pain, in this psalm and in every psalm, David never complains of God. This is important. That when we are lament, we are in struggle, that David never complains of God, he complains to God. And there's a big difference. But, but even before we get to what is David specifically complaining about, I wonder how you think about this as it relates to your own life, your relationship to God, and specifically how it works itself out in the act of prayer. Because I, I get the feeling many people, and, and I'm probably just... Uh, revealing kind of sometimes my own struggle with this, that we feel like we cannot approach God in this way. There's a mindset that often, whether it's taught to us or we just implicitly begin to assume this, that prayer requires a kind of plastic, um, overly formal, kind of your prayer voice. You know, kind of your prayer voice, where no matter what you're feeling, your best day or your worst day, the prayer is always just like the same. This kind of monotone. And revealed underneath that is that God is not someone you can trust with your struggles in this way. God is not someone you can speak to in this way. And what we expose about our own hearts is that we view God as a father who's distant. A God who's not welcoming of our most inner struggles and complaints, but a God who just wants the standard platitudes. And then you've got to go find someone else to share those struggles with or just bottle them up inside. As opposed to, I think, the real God revealed in the Bible who says, bring it all to me. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're emotional, whatever face you're selecting on that page that I put before you, bring it to me and it is my prayer, oh, that we at Grace Church would feel the freedom to be our truest selves in the act of prayer. We should feel nowhere else than in the act of prayer before God our Father to be our realest selves. And yet, it's a lament to know that we often approach God in the, no matter what's going on, just this, again, kind of plastic, very formal way that never is honest. And when it comes to a struggle, whether right now you're in the midst of a struggle, and if you're not, we all know, give it some time, you will be, or you might be walking with someone who's currently in a struggle, and how can I help them, how can I pray for them? It might be something that's currently happening to you or just echoing Pastor Joe's prayer about um, what it, the helpless feeling that we've all experienced in this last week especially of seeing others suffer and like not being able to do anything about it 
or feel like you can't do anything about it. Many of you, if not most of you, like me, have seen the images and the articles and the videos from Afghanistan this past week. A nation filled with millions of people, especially women and children, whose lives have dramatically changed in the span of one week. Where there's cases where they're now under a regime where girls that were attending school showed up to the doors and said, it's time to go home. You're not in school anymore. Can you imagine that? From just a Friday to a Monday, go home. You don't go to school anymore. A world where many church leaders and missionaries are sending messages to loved ones throughout the world saying that they are preparing to meet Jesus face to face in the next two weeks. Pray for them as they prepare for that. And so I'm, just, I'm not interested in litigating the politics. Like regardless of how you feel the politics of what's happening, there's that helpless feeling and the real pain that it brings. Think about the fact that many of us and many families and teachers and administrators and school nurses are heading into a new school year. Where, where, where two months ago, there was this optimism that the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, this pandemic was here, it's what we've been waiting for for so long. And now, no one knows what to think. Everyone's minds are swirling. Not, not to mention what the weight of the pandemic has, has how it intersects not just with school, but with work decisions amongst churches and how churches should handle it between families and friendships. And you get to the end of it, and we're just, we're all exhausted. Like, we're not okay. We're, we're tired. And what I think Psalm 55 is telling us is if we don't bring these complaints to God in prayer, it will lead to us complaining of God to someone else or ourselves. I think that's the choice that when you suffer, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to, as a believer, you're going to complain of God or you're going to complain to God. Complaining to God is biblical lament, but complaining of God is sin. So bring them to him. And David says his heart is in such anguish to the point where, and this is the only time I, that I know of in all of David's writings, where he just says, I just want to leave. Did you notice that? In his anguish, David was daydreaming about walking away. Just, just leave it all behind. And it's worth noting at this point, David's already king of Jerusalem. He's king. This is not a season of life when he was being chased by Saul. He is at the top of the food chain. Goes to show that his problems did not end when he became king. Right? Never let yourself believe that once you get to that point, wherever it is and have your mind, I'm, I'm working to this point what you have in your mind, if I, if I get to this point, the suffering stops, right? We, we buy into that lie. I just have to get to that position. I just have to get married. I just have to have, you know, kids. I need that job title. I need this amount of money in the bank account. Once I live in that house, once I get to that town, it will all be good. Let David be a lesson to you. It probably won't all be good in the way that you're fantasizing about. He is king and yet, this is so hard that he just wants to go be by himself in the wilderness. 
David knows about the wilderness. He knows the struggle that was there. He knows firsthand. And yet his view is so distorted that he's like, if I could just do that, just be alone, there'd be no issues. It reminded me while reading, actually I was listening to um, the uh, Barack Obama memoir, A Promised Land. And, uh, you know, one of the aspects of that book is just giving insight into the human experience of what it is to be the president of the United States. And he would say it multiple times throughout the book that at the most stressful times of being president, what he fantasized about was being a nobody. He, like, he wishes he could just go back in time, just continue practicing law in Chicago, where he could take his girls out for a walk in the neighborhood and have some ice cream on a summer night, and nobody knows who he is, nobody care, it doesn't have to be this big secret service security detail, just disappear in the normal life of an American. That that would be easier. And I imagine how often it happens where, again, David, knowing what the wilderness is like, that you've experienced where reality has gotten so distorted by a certain circumstance that you think, if I could just walk away, I'll be at rest. I think we can resonate that no matter what life stage you're at, that when things get hard in your job, when things get hard in your marriage, when things get hard in a friendship, when, when things get hard within the membership of a church, and the thought is, just walk away. This will all get better if we just walk away. And to be honest, you got to be careful with this. I'm not saying that with whatever you're dealing with or might be dealing with, that to walk away is always wrong. I'm not, not saying that, but I am saying we need to do some honest reflection. If our hearts, and ask that the Spirit guide us in wisdom in this, if, if, if our reality is being so distorted where we think that if we just walked away, not because God is calling us out to a new place or a new season or a new job, but that we just think all my problems would be gone if I left this. Everything would be fine if we fill in the blank, if I fill in the blank. So we pray for wisdom. We encourage perseverance and I would just say, oftentimes, to stay in hard places and to stay in the midst of hardship will lead to a greater triumph. But then David explains and starts to get specific as to why his soul is so restless. What actually is causing him anguish? And he begins to talk about the violence and the strife and the division he sees in his own capital city where he lives and is supposed to be king over. He talks about being witness to the evil that is happening all around him throughout his city. He says oppression and fraud is rampant. The rich are oppressing the poor. The powerful are taking advantage of the weak. The evil is overcoming the good. And even as king, David's going, what do I do? Feels helpless. But then he tells us, What's the deepest hurt? That all is painful, but now he's going to get to what's the actual pinpoint of the pain of Psalm 75. Let's pick it up at verse 12. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. 
It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. David is complaining because his heart is in anguish, not because an enemy is inflicting pain upon him, but a friend. I think it helps to explain why this is the only time in all of Scripture that David wishes he could just leave. Because when we, I I think we can talk ourselves into being brave when it's an enemy coming upon us. Because it's an enemy, and we know how to kind of buck up for that. But the slander, the betrayal of a friend, of a loved one, that, that tends to not make us brave, but that disorients us, that disarms us. And so David says, I just want to go. And it's not just someone whom he merely thought was a friend, right? You might have that situation in life. You, you thought someone was a friend, but then it revealed to not really be that kind of friend. This seems to have been real, right? They were familiar with each other. They, he says, provided counsel to one another. They worshiped together in the house of the Lord. There were real memories of sweet joy with this person. There is speculation whether we know who this friend is. The kind of historical consent is that it's speaking of a man named Ahithophel, probably pronounced that wrong, in 2 Samuel 15. That story's kind of laid out where this man turned his back on David, he was an advisor to David, and then he joined David's son Absalom, who was in rebellion against his father. Whether that is the one, I don't think is vital that we know, because David does not name him here. But what we do know is enough that this person David is speaking of was a dear friend whom he loved, who he has been betrayed by, and his heart hurts. And he's angry, and he's depressed, and he's fearful. And it's here if we pause, we all can understand this on some level probably some more than others. But on on some level, we all know that those who are closest to us are capable of inflicting the most pain upon us, right? That the people that you kind of uh, have the closest relationship with, you are putting yourself in a position where you could be hurt by them because the people that you love most have the potential to hurt you the most. And I think on some level... We also know what it's like to hurt somebody else in this way. Maybe being on the other side. The pain that comes with inflicting pain upon someone else who we were close with. But either way, and maybe we all have a little bit of experience on either side against some more than others, we are shaped and formed by the people who hurt us and by the people who love us. And sometimes that is the same person. And verse 15 gets you to the emotional low point of this psalm. David says, let death steal over them. 
let them go down to Sheol. Sheol can also be translated grave. Maybe if you're in a translation, you see that word, it's grave. It means kind of just the, the symbol of the epitome of darkness, the place where there's an absence of companionship. So David's essentially saying, this person left me to be all on my own, so let them go be all on their own. And so David is, again, so hurt, and in his honest pain, he wants them to pay for their sin. Their evil has wounded him badly, and he wants justice upon them. So that's the place where he's in when now things turn at verse 16. So let's now pick it up at verse 16. I'm going to read it to the end. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Number three, we go from crying to God for help Complaining to God in anguish to now. Number three, call to God in faith. If verse 15 was the low point of the psalm, verse 16 is the turning point. Because you have to hit rock bottom before you can head back up. And that is what we will see. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Brothers and sisters, this is both the privilege and the responsibility of being amongst God's people. That in times of our deepest distress, in times of our most difficult pain, we are not obligated to call to God, but we are gloriously able to. And God does not shame us for feeling emotions even against other people that have hurt us and wounded us. But it is our responsibility and our privilege as his people to now call to God in faith in the midst of those moments. And answering the question, how is it that we could have that privilege, is the key to accessing the power to make that turn in verse 16. Because reminding ourselves of the gospel is the key to strengthening and practicing a regular, passionate prayer life, especially in times of struggle. You see, the key to a strong prayer life, I I often ask that question, I'm often asked that question by others, um, uh, how how do I grow my prayer life? It's it's always a struggle. How, How do I get better at it? How is it more regular? How can I strengthen the passion within it? The key is to not beat yourself over the head and say, you need to pray more. The key is to fix your eyes upon the gospel. Because the more you understand and fix your eyes upon the gospel, the more you realize that prayer is only possible because of the gospel. The gospel says that we were created in his image, all of us, to be in relationship with him. 
But due to sin and due to choosing our glory over his glory, a separation between us and God vertically and a separation between man and woman and mankind with one another horizontally has been broken. And that leads to conflict. It leads to violence. It leads to the kind of personal separation that David explains here. Where people war with and against one another. Where there's personal conflict. Systemic conflict. Even cosmic conflict. But rather than giving us our just punishment for our role in that, God sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to teach and model the ways of his kingdom and then to lay down his life to atone for the sins who put their trust in him. So that by his death and by his resurrection, we are saved and we are reconciled to the Father as adopted sons and daughters by faith. And as a result of that salvation, God invites us to call upon him in all times, in all circumstances, to call to him in prayer. Just as a loving parent desires that their children come to them with all their emotions and it would, it would, it would Break the heart of a loving parent to know that their child feels like they can't bring something to them. And God will never deny us when we call on him. And just as it was in faith that we were reconciled to the Father in our salvation, so it is by faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit within us, to call to God in the midst of our anguish. Here's the thing about Psalm 55. In faithful prayer, God strengthens us even before he changes our situation or circumstance. Let me say that again. In in faithful prayer, God strengthens us even before he changes our situation or circumstance. And to pray in faith is to, as verse 22 put it, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. This is the turn. This is the the turn in the midst of lament that comes before the turn in your pain. And when it comes to this prayerful turn, you'll get many skeptics that will come along for the ride, right? Many skeptics, people outside the faith, maybe even those who are sometimes within the faith, will say that prayer is really nothing more than a form of emotional escapism. That prayer doesn't solve anything. Prayer doesn't get done what needs to get done. It's just, again, a mental escapism from your reality. But I am compelled by Psalm 55 in that it shows prayer to be actually the direct opposite of escapism. Because do you remember in his anguish, David said he wanted to flee. In his fear, he just wanted to flee. In his lament, he wanted to give up. He wanted to go away. And yet, when he calls on God, casts his cares on him, That is what the Spirit uses to grant him the courage to stay. The courage to persevere. The courage to be sustained by God and, in his words, not be moved. You see, prayerlessness and the fear that comes comes from it will lead you to flee. But prayerful faith empowers you to stay in the midst of your problems. Because he will not let us fall. And the call to prayer 
does not mitigate or eliminate the hope for justice. Verse 23, he said, But you, O God, will cast them down. They shall not live out half their days. You see, when we face grievous sin, when we are sinned against, we don't have to choose between praying for someone and then calling for justice, right? That's what is called a false dilemma. Okay, let me give you one quick example, and then we're going to wrap up. If, let's say, we became aware of a domestic abuse case, you became aware of a situation where a man was beating his wife physically, abusing his wife emotionally. When we call for prayer in that moment, we don't just pray that God would come upon the soul of this man, convict him of his sin, lead him to repentance and to stop abusing. We also pray for and then act towards bringing that abuse to light to ensure that that man is brought to justice for the harm that he has afflicted. It's not an either or. Calling to God in faith is not an escapism. It is getting the strength to stay and do what needs to get done. It's empowered by the Spirit. It's made possible by the work of Jesus Christ. And Psalm 55, in that way, serves as a forerunner to another betrayal that would happen about 1,000 years later. Jesus Christ, in his earthly ministry about three years, he walked with 12 men closely that he called his closest 12 apostles. They shared life together. They had sweet counsel. They became friends, um, even brothers. And it would be one of these 12 men whom he loved that would betray him. Judas Iscariot who would dine with him at the Last Supper, who would break bread with him on that night and then slip out to tell the chief priests where he was so they might arrest him, put him on trial, and kill him. So I am grateful that David shows us it is possible to call on God in the midst of deep lament, but I am eternally grateful that Jesus did not leave when he was in deep anguish in the garden. But he called upon the Father. He received the strength from the Spirit. And he stayed. To his own peril. And for our eternal security. Jesus did not abandon his post. But rather he was nailed to that tree. For the joy set before him. To endure the cross. So that we would be reconciled to the Father. So because that happened. Because that is true. It is also true that we can say, and regardless of whatever situation you're in or you're facing or somebody close to you is facing, we can say, I will trust in you. For he who saved us will be faithful to sustain us to the end. Let's pray. Father, we stand at the end of this psalm of lament, Lord. Many of us coming to your word from a different place, regardless of what's happening in the midst of our lives, Lord, we are facing many situations, many circumstances, and yet, Lord, I pray that we would, with one unified voice, say that we will call to you in faith, that we can be honest about the real pain that we feel, and yet, by the power of the Spirit, we can turn to you 
and know that he who is faithful to save will be faithful to sustain. I pray that we would cling to that, Lord, that that hope would not only resonate within us, but that would shed off of us and be a witness to others for the name of your glorious grace. And it's in that name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? And we are going to sing a song that might be new to some of you. It's a song of lament based upon the Psalms. That I think even in the lyrics, you'll be able to see this turn from crying to complaining to calling to God in faith. Let's sing together.